0: Thank you for joining us. And remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Let's do this. Hello, hello, and welcome to Hearts and Stripes. I am your host, Bree Carroll, and I just want to thank you for joining this very powerful heart-to-heart heart that we are about to have, I will be chatting with none other than Rochelle Malone. She is an executive coach who is on a mission to empower women leaders to gracefully navigate change and to achieve greatness personally, and professionally. Rochelle is a brilliant woman and someone who I truly admire. She is a Memphis native. She has a master's degree in psychology and is currently working on a PhD. She is the founder of Grace Solutions, LLC, and you are going to want to strap in tight here because her story is one that will leave you in awe. For those who may be new here, I just want to let you know that Hearts and Stripes is all about strengthening military marriages so that you can thrive, live fulfilled, and celebrate authentically. So the key in all of this is healthy relationships. And first and foremost, you have to show up for yourself before you can show up for your marriage. And hearing Rochelle's story is truly going to drive that point home when it comes to having healthy, sustainable marriages. Marriages showing up for yourself. So, like I said, buckle up. We are going to chat with Rochelle and I will not delay you any further. Let's listen to our interview with her. So, yes, everyone, welcome to this heart to heart. I have a very special guest with me. This is my P2P sister, a woman whose story will impact your life in a tremendous way. Um, Rochelle, thank you so much for being here and chatting. On hearts and stripes podcast
1: glad to be here thank you for the opportunity to be hang out with you once and yeah. also to meet your listeners so i'm excited thank you for having me
0: yes so i have heard your story before but um our listeners are really in for what i would say a treat because it is an uh, and a, a tremendous story and i'm not going to delay too long because i want you to jump <laughs> in it is a story of um Faith, it is a story of overcoming it is a story of um, favor that even through a situation that you maybe didn't think was uh <laughs> something that you you would be in right, right. you still saw god's hand move even on that situation so i'm not going to delay or <laughs> give any more suspense <laughs> rochelle tell us about your marriage story, and a little bit about your background and who you are.
1: Well, my name is Rochelle Malone. I am from Memphis, Tennessee. I'm a Southern belle, and I grew up like, had a regular childhood, mother and father at home. I was the youngest of five children, and um, just wanted to emulate my parents. You know, I know I wanted, I wanted to be married. I wanted to have a family, and I was very focused on uh, being, a, being a wife at the right time, but I was very serious about schoolwork. I was in uh, honors from elementary all the way to high school, even received a full academic scholarship. So academics were were very important, but I also knew that I wanted to be married. And um, I, I think either at the age of 16, <clears throat> we had a youth pastor come to our church and he said, write down everything you want in your spouse. And so I did, and I had an affinity for Sidney Portier. I don't know if you all know um factor. Oh, yes. I just thought he was just so elegant and so such the epitome of a man. And so mm-hmm. I wrote that name down. I wrote down different things that I wanted and I prayed over it. And I was just believing God for for my spouse. Well, we fast forward we're in college. I ended up meeting my um first boyfriend, and that became my college sweetheart. And eventually he became my husband. And we were very young, very excited about God. And what attracted me to him was his Love for God. I had never seen a young person so serious about God, and I had never seen people really pray and answers. The, the the prayers were answered. You know, people prayed wow. and something to do, and I know that they happened, but I never saw anybody just specifically pray what he wanted and it happened. So I was intrigued with with him because I love God as as well. Um, so I knew we we started dating. We dated about a year and a half, and I ended up marrying him in my senior year. And um, he was known for being a great leader. Um, one of the things that we wanted to do, we were very, uh, I guess, mature for our ages. I was, I was 21. He was 22. We decided we wanted to get married and start a, a ministry. And in our 40s, we were going to be you know, just settled down and enjoying our family, enjoying ministry. So we worked really hard. Um, we started out with six people in ministry. And uh, eventually, it grew to over a thousand people. <clears throat> we had some of the, the top leaders within in our cities, professional athletes, judges, CEOs, doctors. We had uh, a lot of the up and coming group. It was a lot of young people that were on high, on fire for God. And so it was a it was a group of leaders. We we um. It, and that was the, the great thing. We were developing leaders within the ministry. So I, I, I framed this to say that um, life was good, or I thought it was. You know, I had uh, in 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 uh, we started the ministry in 1990. Well, we got married in June of 1990 and started the ministry August 1990. So we were we were the baby of the ministry and the baby in marriage. Um, shortly right. after, my daughter, um, four beautiful young girls. And as you could say, life was, was good. You know, there were things that I noticed in my marriage, but just like with anything else, you know, you just kind of consider them as being, you know, this is a part of growth. Well, my world (laughs) turned upside down uh, in March, 2007. What I thought I had was not what I thought, what I had. And I, and I liken it to say I was, it was an illusion of a dream. You know, there were many people that wanted to emulate my marriage because, you know, my uh, husband he was a founding pastor. I was a, a, a co-pastor. We were living a good life. We were uh, very, you know, blessed, and we seemed happy. I thought I thought we were happy. But 2007, as um, more influence came, as more, um, I guess, opportunities came, I saw a shift with my uh, um, with my husband at the time. And uh, we started having uh, relationship problems. And like you say, there were things that I noticed. There are things that I saw all alone, but nobody really could give me any help regarding it. So we got to the point where it was really getting to a point where it was, um, this is kind of serious, <laughs> you know, and I went and talked to some of the uh, leaders within the, in the, in the churches, the wise.
0: And mm-hmm.
1: I was advised, well, baby, you just got to pray. It's just, just you just got to pray. And, and I am a prayer. I understand prayer, but one thing that I learned through this incident is that you must have prayer and you must have knowledge. Mm -hmm. And that the Bible says that you perish for lack of knowledge. And what was happening to me, I was perishing. And so what happened, I was, like I said, I I, uh, met my husband uh, and we got married in my senior year. I went on to graduate from college. I went on to help found a ministry, successful ministry. I was leading um, workshops and leadership development. And here I was a college graduate being placed in a situation that I I was baffled by. And I was baffled because um, one of the requirements, we got to the point, like I say, my marriage had gotten to a point where it had gotten pretty shaky because of some different things that were going on. And um, my husband was, at the time, beginning to start planting seeds that, um, you know, don't you think you're a little stressed? Don't you think you're um, bipolar? Don't you think you're this? And I had never heard of these things before. So I had to go research bipolarism. And I'm like, I don't really think that's me, but okay. So, anyway, an ultimatum was given to me. I was sent to a, a mental hospital and basically was told if I did not um, comply, that he was going to divorce me. And, wow. Yeah. That was, that was, you know, he, the Lord, he said, the Lord had told him that it was a make or break year for him, that, you know, things were going well for the ministry. But if I didn't align with him in, in regards to going to the mental hospital, that he was going to divorce me. Now, I was, um, I worked in ministry, but I also, also was a primary stay-at-home mom. I had a four-year-old, mm-hmm. I had an eight-year-old, I had a, a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old girls. So, wow! You no, know, I'm like, who wouldn't do whatever they needed to do to keep their family together? So I'm like, okay. So I was originally told that I would go and get help for depression because they were saying I was depressed because of certain situations that were going on with my ex-husband. Well, my husband at the time, and so I was like, okay. Well, I'll go and and anybody who knows me knows I like my tea and I like my candles. So I brought my candles. I got my tea. I was like, well, I'll just take the information in the morning. That's what they told me. And I'm just, right morning I'll go back to my hotel or whatever and read over it and you know also always, I always I love learning so I would say that I was going to get the information to share with other women because the depression is something that's common that people deal with so much right. information on it so fast forward we get to the um the center it's a behavioral center now mind you I wasn't necessarily I was told that I was I was I, I needed to get help I, I, I said let me backtrack said he told me that I needed to get help so I knew that I needed to get counseling, but I didn't know that the kind of help that he was implying was more mm. than anticipated.
0: Right. So you were kind of blindsided, if you will, on the the different types of help. You had one thing in mind, and he maybe had something else completely different in mind.
1: Yes, I thought I was going to go, you know, see a therapist, go discuss um, depression you know, okay, find, we'll find out about it, we'll talk about it, but I never thought it was going to be, put it like this, I saw Behavioral Health Center, and that's how, I was just naive, I never, I had no reason to deal with that that area, or that field of, of discipline, so I didn't know, so we were walking through, with was he, um, his secretary, and another young lady that went with us, and I asked the lady, I said, so what do you all do here, this is a behavioral center, so what kind of hospital is this, and she gave me the strangest look, like, this something is really wrong with this girl. <laughs> you know, like, I'm asking her, like, what, are, what is this for? So she just casually said, oh, it's for people with drug addictions and da-da-da-da. And I'm like, okay. I'm still like, okay, well, all right. Well, I guess that's what they do. So we got there. I began to share my story. And um, my husband did not like the story that I was sharing mm. Um a, 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 a kept interjecting. So the intake person took me to another room. And of course that, that made him a little nervous because he could no longer control what was being said. Well, like I say, I did not realize the danger that I was in. I stepped away for a moment and I came back and my cousin was talking to another lady. I didn't know at the time who that was, that was the, the head psychiatrist. And so what I was originally told that I was supposed to stay for three days, um, I was now being admitted to a women's psych ward. Wow. And I was totally, totally just, just dumbfounded. But like, again, I, was, I had to go through with it because this is what I have to do for my family. And I'm yeah, like, you oh, were
0: that. trying to save your marriage. Exactly. You were trying to save your family. You were thinking about your girls and, and being compliant and following what was recommended to you. Yes. That's, you thought you were doing this for your family.
1: Yeah. It, and I had no clue what I was agreeing to. Because mm. I, had, I had no idea what that meant. But, you know, there are three levels within, at the time that I was told, there's three levels. And uh, in, in the behavior Health Center, you have the uh, outtake, where I thought I was going originally, where you go get help, um, see a counselor, you are able to go home, you're free. Um, then there's a second level where there's male and, and uh, female um, psych wards. And that's where you're pretty much in lockdown, you're given meds, you are... Um, stripped of pretty much of, of shoestrings you can't wear shoestrings you can't have sharpies you can't have anything with sharp so it's pretty much you're monitored 24 hours a day your every step every every day of your hour is monitored and you are on a clockwork of, of meds the third level is where um, you see the individuals that you see on the street that are that you're deemed um, mentally challenged and usually in straight jackets, that's the third level well when I went through when they took took everything and they were walking me through. Like say, I'm still in a state of shock. I'm like, well, what's really going on? You know, this is really not what I had anticipated. When I walked through the door, as soon as I walked through the door, they handed me meds. And, and I know it had to be God because initially I was going to be like, why are you giving me meds? What, you know, what do I need this for? I don't need this. Right. I didn't even say anything. It was just like, okay, I was still in that state of shock. And so I took the medication. I was strip searched um you know you know brought back into the to the to the area and wow. I came to find out by my psychiatrist um that had I not taken those meds um and the the reason why they they gave me and it was a very heavy dose of, med, of meds the reason why she gave it to me is, is because she said I cannot have a pa- I don't want to put a pastor's wife on the third level in the in the most extreme level of the psych ward. Let's give her the highest dose of medication and put her in the second level and see how she does. And so
0: Wow, hold on. Let's pause for a second, <laughs> Rochelle. You're saying that you thought you were just going to be an outpatient. Talk to a counselor, but it sounds like you were being sent to the highest level of a psych ward.
1: Yes, yes. Had it not been for the the mercy of the psychiatrist, I would have been on the highest level, and I know because wow. I spoke with her personally afterwards. I could say after all of the everything kind of was uncovered, but yeah, wow. and that's why I'm so you know it's like I didn't I didn't fight. Had I resisted at all, it would have, they were they were given instructions take her to the third floor, and I had no clue. So long story short, I stayed. Um, medication was very strong. I ended up fainting because I, I, I don't smoke or drink. My system was pure and it was nothing but the grace of God. I ended up um, befriending a psychiatrist, uh, a pharmacist while I was there. Like I this it's a really strange story, but it was a God story. And she shared with me, she said, it was nobody but God, Rochelle, that you're, that you're not in a coma. She said, for you to have a pure system, And to be given the amounts of medication, I can't think of the milligrams now, but the level of medication that I was given, she said, typically people go into shock. Wow. I didn't go into shock, but I was, I fainted. But anyway, I ended up staying 28 days in a mental hospital, and while I was there, it was so crazy. People step people that were in the hospital because. Little that I know, there's some people mm-hmm. that do take themselves into the hospital every six months or so because life just gets too much for them and they just need a break. And so the regulars were like, you know, why are you here again? And I said, well, I'm here for, t- I thought I was there for depression. Wow. So they were like, okay. And they just look at me. Even some of the nurses or and the people there, the, the people that were in leadership will pull me aside and say, now, why are you here? And I tell them depression. They're like, oh, okay. And everything came to a head. <clears throat> the well yeah the third I was there 28 days the second week that I was there um I come to find out uh, well I spoke I finally spoke up I never really spoke in any of the intake any of the um the sessions and I began to share a little bit and the lady that was facil- facilitating the group she said you're a subjugated woman and I said a, a subjugated woman she said you're you're better and I said but he'd never put his hands on me he never hit me she said, no, it's not about him hitting you. He has mind control over you. Wow. You know, really? It's like, but I'm, I'm the Southern belle. I'm the pastor's mm. wife. I'm the submissive wife. You know, I'm just doing what I was taught or what I- Doing taught. what I was you believed was
0: right. Yeah. Was
1: right to do. So I ended up, um, you know, I'm trying to condense it because it's a really crazy story. Um, I ended up meeting with the lady that that said that to me pulled me aside, and she, you know, she just began to ask me questions. She's like, you need to meet this other therapist that would happen to be there, but she wasn't physically there, so some kind of way that next week, I ended up being in this therapist um, session, and we were talking, and um, little did, uh, and I didn't share this before, nobody knew where I was, and nobody in my family knew where I was, nobody in the church knew where I was. The only people that knew where I was was my, my husband, his secretary, the board member, and my, uh, husband's mother those were the only people that knew where I was now ma- imagine um being away from your congregation in three weeks and nobody can tell you where they are imagine from wow. my children and they don't know where I am so um uh, when I t- told the therapist that my family didn't know about about it she's like you're not leaving this session until you go and call your your, your mother and I was like she was adamant she's like you don't realize you're in trouble you need to call your mother you call somebody and let somebody know where you are. So I called my mother. That was actually, I believe that was they had to be. That was um, Easter Sunday, and so my mother, I called my mother, and uh, she was all excited to hear me. She says, "I've been trying to get in touch with you, you know, I, you know, I, and I can't, I couldn't get in touch with you. I'm so glad to hear from you." And and long story short, she had been trying to get in touch with me because of the backdrop. My father had been diagnosed with cancer.
0: And wow, so- Rochelle. <laughs> wow.
1: So wow. I think stage three, stage four, they didn't really have much chance for him to live. So she had been wanting to get in touch with me to let me know what was going on with my father. So um, I shared that with her, she shared that with me, we're both kind of in shock. And I was like, well, don't tell anybody because that's just how I was. I was trained being married to my ex-husband to be secretive or to be uh, protect, you protect with home. You don't share what's going on in your house. And I had another um, a minister say something. He said, There's a difference between hiding and covering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, in the Bible, uh, when Moses got drunk, his, his sons covered him because he was a man of order and, and or, uh, of honor. And they didn't want him to be exposed, but they knew that he was a good man. But when you hide things, you know that something's not right, but you hide, right. that's a totally different thing. So I was hiding, and I didn't know that I was hiding. Um, but anyway, um, my, my mother ended up sharing with, sharing uh, the story with my sister. That was on a Sunday. My sister lives in California. Monday morning, she was in Atlanta where I was. And so after that encounter on Sunday, the same therapist that had reached out to me, she, she's like, you don't understand. You're in trouble. She said, I almost lost my job over you. And I was like, really? What happened? She said, your psychiatrist, because my ex-husband, had, that was the lady he had talked to out in, in the hall he had shared so many different scenarios and so many different things about me and had painted this picture that I was trying to destroy the church, that I was such a, um, a cut up and such a, a distraction in the church that I needed to be put away. So she had a very negative perspective of me and she was kind of rough and harsh with me when she dealt with me. But this other lady had been observing me and watching me. And of course, I didn't know she was watching me. She said, something's not right about it. And so she's like, you know, she stepped in and started looking and investigating a little bit more about my my case. So she, she called me, well, she, she gave me her number after the session. Now mind you, I'm in a mental hospital. You don't, a therapist does not give you her personal number and take interest in you unless there's something really serious. So she gave me her number. And she asked me to, um, to call her. I called her and she asked me to uh, take a cab to her house. And that just seemed like so surreal, so surreal to me. It was just like, man, this stuff is like something out of the movies. So I went over to her home and she had pulled my records. And she let me read what was in my medical records. And all I could do was cry. I could not believe that my pastor, that yeah. my husband, yeah. betrayed me in such a way. But he said that I was um, bipolar, suicidal, homicidal, schizophrenic. And I think that's about it. And I think that's about enough. And so. Yeah, that's more than enough.
0: (laughs) For sure. I'm going to, I'm going to, let's unpack some of that. So Mm -hmm. you are basically sharing that your husband at the time intentionally had you admitted to a mental hospital, and and I, no one knew—not your family. No, he isolated you in such a way to where your your children didn't know where you were. Your congregation, your family, did not know where you were. Where was he in all of this? Did he come and check in on you? He came once. So he,
1: okay. he came once a week. I think he came like on Mondays, and then he would leave on Tuesdays. And um, during that time, and it was just basically, I guess, just checking, checking on me, just making, I, I can't, I guess he was making sure I was okay, but <laughs>
0: making sure his plan was still <laughs> yeah. going according. So when he came, did you ever think like, yep, it's my time to go now? Like, cause you thought you were going to be there for three days.
1: Well, let me tell you how, how this is just how it, it became. I just, and I don't know if it was just the meds as well, but I, after three days, I had enough cognition to know something wasn't right but i didn't know quite what, what wasn't right mm-hmm. and the only thing that kept me was like I, my mantra was this is the day the lord has made i will rejoice and be glad in it wow i got up and i just said lord i don't understand what's going on but i'm gonna be rejoiced that you've given me my life and like I say, that's a backdrop because there were so many other things that were going on at that time within mental hospitals when I was was in that situa- was in that situation. But he would come and check on me. But he was very cold and very distant. And um, I I remember the well the, prior to the last time that he came to see me. And this is when the, the hospital began to start saying, you know, something's not right about this. You know, something even the psychiatrist was like something's not right about this because typically we don't have to chase a person down to come and get you. He wouldn't come and get me. That's the reason why I ended up having to stay. And he kept calling the um, the hospital and asking them to run tests on, test on me, you know, just different types of tests and run this test, run this test. So he was well studied in um, what he was trying to uh, set me up for. Well, I think it was. It had to be around after the um, no it yeah it had to be it was around the time of the um everything just happened god is so good let me let me go back to when the i went to the therapist's house and she showed me the medical records and nobody but god could do that for her do that cause her to do that and i remember her bringing me back to the the hospital and i was just you know shaking up so many range of emotions like you know this is my husband this is the father of my children this is my pastor you know i just felt i just was just totally outdone that he would lie on me like that and he knew me and just some of the things that he shared were um like you know personal things like i have a cut on my wrist no one sees that i got that when i was a little girl when i was five and he claimed that i did that as, a, as an attempt a suicide attempt to try to cut my wrist
0: wow so just
1: very personal things and i felt very violated very um, just thrown under the bus so when that monday came um trying to see was it Monday or Tuesday whenever he came this was the worst he had ever act, acted towards me and he was telling me that I couldn't as I was getting closer to getting ready to come home he I still had to be released to someone if you're admitted into a, a mental hospital you have to be released to someone and uh, he knew that my time was getting close he, I guess he asked enough tests or whatever and stuff and they couldn't do it they weren't going to do anymore and so um, he told me that I could not come back to Memphis um, because during that time, I don't know that was a that was a very high profile case of a pastor's wife whose husband had abused her. It um, was I guess sexually abusing her and just emotionally abusing her, and she snapped. She shot him and killed him. And so he gave me that rationale. He said because I the church was such a high stress high high environment high stress uh, high stress environment that I couldn't come back to uh, Memphis um, because I would he was afraid that I would snap that I would hurt it, that I would hurt someone. Um, wow. And wow. I was like, you know, he, he handled all the finances. And so I'm like, okay, all right, well, this is what you say. I'm still in that mood mode of just, you know, him leading. And I'm like, okay, this doesn't seem right, but I don't have a choice at this point. So he got me an apartment, he got me a car. Um, all of that was on a, um, had to be on a Tuesday. And like I said, my sister was already there.
0: So your sister is who you were released to then?
1: Right. My sister came because at that time, my therapist got involved and in, was talking to my sister because she realized I was in trouble. People get lost in the system, and that's a reality. One of the things that I've learned in my research is that um, men of prominence, men of power, even back in the 1800s, when they wanted to get rid of their wife without an, ex- without an excuse, and they didn't want to divorce her, they put her in a mental hospital. Because when you go in a mental, mental hospital, you lose all of the rights. And I soon found that out as I got out and was trying to do different things. Um, you, you, you're, you're, um, because you're, you're deemed mentally inco- incompetent and unless otherwise you can prove it. So, um, well, that, 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 that last week that he was there, like I shared with you, I was shared, told to, um, that I had to go to the mental hospital or had to go away and get help is the way it was put. Uh, otherwise I would be divorced. Well. The last week that he came, he took me to Starbucks and he began to share and talk to me and say, hey, you know, um, I think I want a no-contest divorce. You talk about...
0: Wow. You uh, endured all of those days to save your family and your marriage and still... Yes. Yes. Wow. And
1: and this was the twist. Um, A no-contest divorce. Um, and I didn't even know what a no contest divorce was because I didn't, I didn't know about divorce. Like I say, I was, I was a church girl. I was the nerd. I was just focused on doing good. I didn't believe and know that people could be evil. So I was really naive to being evil. And it's just hard for me to even think of myself back that I was that naive. But I was. I was very trusting. And so he shared with me about a no contest divorce. And at that time, you know, I had my sister and my, my therapist, they were, I, I hadn't told them yet, but he was just telling me about it. And I was just like, this doesn't seem right. And so I didn't say anything really about it. And he was like, well, you know, then he started twisting it. Well, you don't want anybody to find out you were in a mental hospital, do you? So the thing mm-hmm. that he was setting you up to do was now going to be the skeleton in the closet. It was now gonna be the pond in which he controlled. Them. Well, if you don't want anybody to know about this, you need to do this or you need to do this. So it became another
0: yes. level of manipulata- yes. manipulation manipulation. Yes.
1: Yes. So devastated, devastated. Mm. And you know, I remember and I'll never forget these words that he spoke to me. And I, because like I said, we work together in ministry. And I said, well, How are you gonna get rid of me? I said, I'm I'm the mother of your children. I said, I'm a viable part of the ministry. How can you just tell me you want to divorce me and just walk away? And they used to call me Lady Rochelle. And he said, Lady Rochelle was just an image. Images can be made and remade. Wo, wow. So, that wasn't telling. <laughs> wow. I, I will never, ever in life forget being told that because I never in life felt that low all that I had done all that I had sacrificed all of that I thought the illusion of the dream that I thought that I had I was just an illusion wow. I was just an image that could be replaced and you know they can be made and remade and so that was <laughs> that was my that's experience. a lot yeah <laughs>
0: Rochelle and let me just share with you the reason why I wanted to share your story on Hearts and Stripes podcast is because we're talking to military couples. Typically, um, I'm talking to my military spouses out there.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And when I heard your story for the first time, it hurt so deeply because the isolation, the manipulation, the um, just trying to hide versus cover I saw so many of these different elements could be played out very easily Mm -hmm. in this military lifestyle. We move so often. Some people move every two years, every three years, and they're leaving their their families behind, um, their immediate families, and they are relying on their spouse, Mm -hmm. Um, oftentimes the active duty member who does have the control in certain situations of the money similar to your situation they are given information and it has to be any information for the spouse typically comes from the active duty spouse so they have the opportunity to change some of the information or manipulate it in a way that um best suits them so i feel like your your story is just it's so impactful and it really was eye-opening to me because Um, and, and I know you're, you're going to get to this, but this is, these are the signs of, of, um, a narcissist, your, your, your previous husband, your, um, wow. And you just (laughs) didn't, you didn't know you had no idea. And I look at, I mean, we heard your bio, you are an educated woman. You are, um, always high achieving, um, you know, walked in grace, was of faith, was a leader in the church, and you were told and really manipulated into going into a a mental institution, and it is mind-blowing how you were motivated to do the right thing for your family, and someone would take advantage of of you in that way, and for anyone who is listening, if any part of this story resonates with you if if you feel like you are in a position of not being covered but you're being mm-hmm. hidden or some things are being hidden I hope that this is confirmation that this is not just a movie that this really happens to people and, and Rochelle I just thank you so much for being transparent about that story um but I want to I want to get to the good the good <laughs> stuff and the God stuff which you did you did touch on there was favor on you throughout this yeah. whole story and so tell me about your um, the the counselor that was working with you, your family and then kind of what what came next for you
1: okay um, truly God's hand was in it because I really did not know the level of danger that I was in while I was there in the hospital as as more I guess, Word got out about something wasn't right about my situation. I had several of the therapists pull me aside and tell me, "Hey, you're in trouble." And I'm thinking, "No, I'm I'm not in trouble. I'm I'm fine. You know, my husband loves me. You know, I I I I I was still." not taking in this is before he asked for the divorce now (laughs) you know I just felt like he was going through something we were going through a rough rough patch but they were going to get me attorney's numbers and they were like no you really need to get help and it was the um, therapist uh, again like she told me I asked her I said why are you doing this for me and she said because I want God wants you to know how much he loves you and that to me just brought me to tears because I didn't know the danger that I was in, but God was still protecting me. He sent people around me to fight me that I didn't even know. And she went on to tell me, this lady is originally from London and she never gets assignments in Atlanta. She She was supposed to be in New York. And she said, "Now I know why I'm in Atlanta. I'm here for you." And mm. once she found out that was her assignment to help me, when I tell you, she act like we. She was. She act like she was my uh, my auntie. <laughs> <So> <laughs> right. She protected me. She checked on me every day. She made sure things were well. Even checking up with the psychiatrist and making sure the psychiatrist was, was well, because she really realized I didn't know what was going on. And so I actually, as I Um, not more, not like I say, there's prayer and knowledge. I didn't know that I was dealing with a narcissist. I didn't know that I was being gaslighted. Those were terms that I knew nothing about. I didn't know that I was codependent. And so me being a codependent made it, I was easy prey for a narcissist and a person that gaslights. And what is a narcissist? A person, a narcissist is a person that has no regard for others. They are the center of attention. There's nothing wrong with having self-love, but when you have self-love to the detriment of others, that's where you become a narcissist. And it was just a lot of characteristics that I didn't know. I just coupled it as being, I'm just he's just a very dominant personality and I just have to cater to him. And just, I was told a lot of erroneous things. Well, this is just how black men are. And I'm thinking, well, that's not how my father was. But when you're in that situation, you become blinded. And really, to be honest, I really, um, I think I was just stripped of my emotions because I had been so broken. And that achiever part of me wanted to succeed at all costs. And I learned a lot through this lesson. Um, and, and I said, I wanted to be an advocate. It's not, you know, I haven't really shared my story a lot. It's been over 13 years since this happened, but I had to get on the other side of it to be able to understand it, to process it, to be able to share with others. Absolutely. Because nobody was there for me. I looked for others. I didn't even think to go to um, a mental hospital or a mental health for this because I, I was a church girl. We pray about it. We, we, right. we, we go to Jesus about it. And like I say, I still believe in, in, in prayer, but I believe you need to get knowledge and get an understanding of what you're going through. And that way you can better assess and use prayer and faith to navigate out of situations that are not right but i was dealing with a narcissist and i was i was dealing with codependency and codependency is that insatiable desire to please you know to please at all costs you're afraid you don't want to hurt anybody's feelings you don't want to have anybody think that you're this or think in a negative light of you because you're so um you know wanting to people please and that's what i was i was the baby the you know the one that um, made everybody happy that pleased everybody and I carried that role right into ministry. I pleased everybody and, and put everybody on the forefront. And I enjoyed doing it. That's That was the thing about it. But I didn't know how to set boundaries with people. And the gaslighting aspect was, is it, it's a psychological mind game. It's just like with me, I asked myself a question. How can a college-educated leader, woman that looks like she's woke, as the world would say, end up in a mental hospital? And right. I allowed my ex-husband to use manipulation, and I don't want to throw him under the bus. I, I, you know, I don't know what his reasons are, are, are for doing what he did, but he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's psychological manipulation, and what that does is like like being told, um, "Don't you think you're bipolar? Don't you? You know, you, you're a little depressed. Well, you you know you, you you've been in a mental hospital." Yeah, I was in a mental hospital, but, people, but the people there were telling me something wasn't right. I wasn't supposed to be there. So all along, it was these subliminal messages to try to tell me something about me that wasn't true to get me to stop trusting myself and begin to look to that person as a mirror or a compass to tell me who I am. That's what gaslighting is. Mm. It, it keeps you unsettled. It's like, um, you know, uh, you just like, it. I don't know, you know, you come home every day, you put your keys a certain place. Well, their spouse, if he's being manipulative, he starts taking your keys. You know you put them there, but he takes them and moves them away. And then you're looking for them. can't find them. And you come back in the morning, they're there. And you're like, wait a minute. I know these were not here, but then they're so subtle that you don't really pay attention to it because you're always kind of on the go. You're so busy. You're not really in tune to what's going on. And those are the things that got me. We were busy, busy, busy all along. But I came to the understanding about what gaslighting was, and I can go on to this that when I share with you about being basically flat emotionally. When Oprah first came out with her books, she would always have self-evaluations in her books. And um, I remember trying to do them. And I could never do them because I could never be honest with myself. And that and that should have been a sign there. But wow. I just didn't I didn't pause. I was so busy. You can be so busy that you don't take time to notice you. You're so busy taking care of the kids, so busy taking care of the husband, taking taking care of work, taking care of family, that you just totally just um abandon yourself. And that's right. And so, yeah, I still got Oprah's magazines. I just couldn't do the survey part. Right. I just couldn't do that part. But she used to do a highlight on books. And she was highlighting this book on gaslighting. I think the author's name, her name is Robert, uh, Robin Stein, I believe, Stein, but it's gaslighting. And I started reading just excerpts of the book and I found myself in it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm being gaslighted. This, I couldn't, I could never explain it to anybody because no one would ever really believe me. And what I was, what some of the, it wasn't just the mental hospital thing, but it was so many other areas and things that he was, was doing to, un- to make me unsure of myself, to make me uncertain of myself. Well, I got the help that I needed. Um, I, was, I got out, my sister got me out. And it's been a long journey, you know, of one, the realization of it. I think it's the devastation that, you know, I don't think anybody could envision themselves being in a situation. And one of the things that I, you know, a lot of times you're you know, kind of kicking yourself, like how can I let this happen to myself? How can I let this happen? But research has shown that um, very successful women are oftentimes the ones that, are the, uh, that suffer the greatest abuse because it's a shame. You don't want anybody to know here you are, this high powered woman, this woman out here going and, you know, doing what needs to be done out in, you know, out in the world. But at home, you have no control in your, in your household. And you have no say so in your household and oftentimes it goes unreported and uh or it is masked until something really you know horrific happens and 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 the stats come out but that's one of the things you know especially with gaslighting because one that's dealing with your psyche that's dealing with your competence that's dealing with your ability to process and you're like well i'm sharp on my job i'm sharp here so uh, i don't understand this but i'm not gonna give too much attention to it and that's what it is it's subtle you don't give too much attention to it But I I went on to really do a lot of soul searching and um, just rebuilding of my my life. Uh, It was a lot that went on uh, after I got out. It wasn't an an easy road at all, as I I shared with you, that when you are placed into a mental hospital, you lose everything, and I did. I lost everything, my home, my children, um, everything under false allegations. I had to prove to... um, that there was nothing wrong with me. And um it was just it was just a difficult process, but I'm very grateful that God me, it brought me through. You know, yeah. um, I had a great resolve in him. And God is so good. You know, when I say about the therapist that took me under her wings and, and looked out for me. When well, my husband told me that I had no, that, um, that I couldn't come back to Memphis and I was able to get out of the, the lease for the apartment and I, I was basically nomadic for about a month flying between Atlanta and, and California trying to figure out what was I going to do. Because immediately after I got out of the mental hospital, I was advised to go see my children so that I wouldn't be charged with abandonment even though I was in the mental hospital. It was just so many things that I had to play against. So I went to go see my children and once I went to go see my children, I was later told that all the locks on the house were changed. So I never was able to go back to my home after that. So I was basically homeless. Wow. Um, so it was a lot to contend with, to process, to um, wrap your head around that this is the person that you loved on so many different levels. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, I guess greed or, or whatever the, the reason was for, for it, to experience that. Um, But then I realized that narcissism is a mental health condition. And that's Mm -hmm. when I had to just really, and it was, it took me a while because I couldn't understand. I try to rationalize and try to see why is this a person, why can't I just, you know, meet in the middle ground? And that's one of the key things too, when you're dealing with a narcissist, there is no middle ground. It's either their way way or no way. And when you're dealing with a person like that, it's not about about a personality preference. That's a personality disorder. And had I known about it, I can, I can say, I, I feel like there could be, could have been some, some, maybe some interventions, but I didn't even know what to, to, to say or know what to right. share because I was just being told, well, that's just, a, he just, that's just a dominant personality and narcissism can go both ways, male and female, you know? Um, but the best way I can say is this, I did know throughout my marriage that I felt like, as an older person say, it's like getting in the shower with your socks on. You know, if you're in a rush, you get in the shower with your socks on. Yeah. You're like, you know something's wrong, but you don't quite know. You're like, oh man, I got my socks on. And that's somehow, <laughs> you know, how it was with me and my marriage. It's like I was married with my socks, in the shower with my socks on. Something just wasn't right. But I couldn't put my finger on it because just as it was crazy, as it, when it got to the end, I had a, he was a great guy, very charismatic, mm. very romantic, very, you know, a good provider for the kids, a good provider for me, so it was like, how do you decipher that, you know, how, you know, it wasn't like he was bad all the time, and so that's what, it was a fine line, that's what my therapist says a fine line between love and hate, you better educate yourself, you need to find out what you're dealing with, if something just doesn't seem right, pray about it, get help about it are asking questions about it, seeking help about it, because you, you're you your only advocate. And in my situation, thank God, I didn't even know to advocate for myself, but others knew and saw my ignorance. They saw my um, um, me being so naive and so green that they stepped in to help me. And uh, it's been a process. It's been a, it's been a journey, but I made it over. And I refuse to be a victim. And that's why it took me a while because sometimes when people go through situations, they're still bleeding, and I didn't want to bleed on anyone else as I was sharing my story. I don't hate my ex-husband. You know, I dislike what he did, um, but if a person is not well, a person is just not well, and that's just you know those are characteristic and attributes of a person that does not functioning well.
0: Wow, so- Rochelle, that's a big statement to make, and it just shows. Your character and your personal um, faith walk that you are not, (laughs) that you are not, uh, that you understand, you understand what the condition of your ex husband is. You are not um, pleased with how the situation happened, but you are able to forgive and move past that. That is such a, a really big statement and I, I just want to foot stomp also your message of prayer and knowledge, how important that is to go hand-to-hand. I love how you say that you are your, your own and your only advocate. You have to educate yourself and, and that's a message that I really want to drive home for our listeners, particularly when we talk about self-care, when we talk about continue to build yourself um, so that you can show up whole for your marriage, Um, you got to show up whole for yourself first. (laughs) And and then that way you will be able to discern some things in your marriage. Like you said, if you're in the shower with your socks on, you're able (laughs) to better pinpoint because you know where you stand. And um, yeah, I, I think that is such a, a needed message to hear and, and, I'm, and I'm so grateful for you sharing that. I do want to talk about um, your newest venture though. Uh, you. you are uh, a phenomenal woman. You have, like I said, very educated. You, you have such a uh, amazing story and you've seen you. uh, a lot of different things from a um, psychological level um, you were a leader, still are a leader on so many different levels, and you are now uh, coaching and consulting. You have a practice. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yes, I, um, what I, I experienced was definitely life changing for me. But as I shared with you, we had a congregation. Uh, pretty fairly large congregation, and we were also on television as well, so not even mentioning the people that came to our church, but even the people that we influenced, and it reverberated throughout the community. There were a lot of people, as a result of what happened to us, their marriages broke down, you know, they lost faith in God, and as a leader, if you have any kind of compassion for the the people, you want to figure out how to help the bleeding, how to help the hurt, And so it's like there are certain things I could not control about my life, but there are certain things I could control about my life. So I went back to school and I got my master's in industrial organizational psychology. And that is uh, the ability to understand what a healthy organization looks like, you know, what what constitutes um, good leadership and, you know, making sure your employees are, are, are taken care of, because what happened with our organization, it, it, it started with leadership, but then it also just started breaking down, and, and it, the, the structure wasn't as, as, as secure as it should have been, and so you learn from that, um, and that's one of the things that I did. I went back and got my master's, and currently I'm working on my doctorate in strategic leadership in, in business and leadership, Um, because I wanted to know just uh, uproot some thinking or thoughts that I had about leadership to understand what is true leadership. And one of the areas that I deal with is authentic leadership. Um, I also went back and I've gotten um, certified as an executive coach. And that, for me, that was really life-changing for me because the the process of going through coaching, you have to be coached. And I uh, benefited so greatly because, you know, you do have a range of emotions. You know, 28 days, Everything changed. My marriage changed. I lost my children. I lost my professional standing. I lost my home. I lost, I lost my life. So, you know, any one of those things at one time is enough to, you know, send you spiraling down. But for all of them to happen all at once, and so here I am, I have to figure out, okay, how am I going to do life? What does my new normal look like? Because it won't be normal, not like it was before. So right. I, um, my foundation is in positive psychology and it used to be called the science of being happy because everybody wants mm. to be happy, but now it's called the science of, of, of flourishing. What makes you flourish in life? What makes you thrive in life? What makes, you know, um, I've come to find out that adversity comes to everybody. You know, no one escapes it. Some of us have greater stories than others, but all of us have adversity in our life, but it's how we navigate those. Um, challenges. And that's what the basis of my coaching practice is is that I help leaders, I help women gracefully transform the pain of change into personal development and growth. Because wherever you stop growing personally, that's where your business is going to stop. That's where you're going to be stuck.
0: That's and I realized
1: that, you know, uh, I stopped growing. When I like say when I could no longer do when I couldn't couldn't do an Oprah magazine, that should have been a red flag right there. You don't know yourself. You're not checking in with yourself. You're not making, you're checking on everybody else. But who checks on you? Who checks and see, am I happy? Am I content with my life? Is my life full of meaning? You know, those are questions only you can ask. And I couldn't ask myself those questions. I didn't give myself permission to ask those questions. I became, I began to say this to myself. Um, I'll be happy. I'll have joy on earth. But I'll be happy in heaven. Because joy is not based on your situation. It's right. based on the continual wow. like continual confidence and the ability of God to be who He is. That's what joy is. Confidence in the ability that God is God. But I said, you know, this side of life, I want joy and happiness. I want my joy inner joy to be full and I want to be able to look out and see <laughs> and be happy about my surroundings and have, you Right, going on. that's good. And so that's um, really kind of where I am, you know, as leaders, we can become professional leaders, professional moms, professional wives, but not be who we were created to be. Cause we're, we're like separate wives. We're just going through the motion. We've lost our emotion. We lost who we are. And that's my goal is to help individuals get back in tune with who they are. Because until you are who you were created to be, the world misses out on the mark that you have that only you can give and only you can share. And so I don't want, there are too many treasures that are being hidden because they don't know who they are or they don't, don't value themselves. And um, I didn't have that. So I want to be that. For others and just be that psychologically safe place where you can come and share and talk and that's what coaching does you know oftentimes we get the wrong idea of what coaching is coaching is not about telling somebody what to do but coaching is about asking the right questions and allowing that person to really self-reflect and think about it you know what it's like when you're watching something or you see something and it's like oh, that aha moment comes yes oh, man I never yes. thought about it like that that's what coaching is. Coaching mm-hmm. allows you to sit back and be reflective in your thoughts, in your mind, in your world without being mom, without being wife, without being sister, without being friend. But it's a place that you come and you focus in on the best version of you. And so to me, that's, that's so fulfilling um, to be able to offer that. Because like I say, if I had had that knowledge, Um, things probably would have been different. Now, I do say this as well. Coaching springs you forward. Counseling and therapists help you work backwards.
0: Yes, thank you for clarifying, yes. Yes.
1: because sometimes people think they come to a coach and they want to go over what happened in their childhood and, you know, that's not what a coach does. Mm -hmm. Um, Coaching helps you figure out, okay, we're dealing with a bit of change here. How are we going to navigate this? Do we want this change to make me bitter? Or we want this change to make me better, right? And I, and I would say better is always the best choice. But um, if you notice, you know, some some attributes or things that are not right, speak up. You know, don't be afraid to go and talk to a therapist and say, you know, you know, I've been feeling this way or I'm thinking this way. There's nothing wrong with getting a third party um, opinion about things that's trusted. And that's why I say therapist, because therapists, your, your, your business is safe, you know, you have, and with me, I have um, uh, confidentiality, confidentiality contracts with all of, my, all of my clients, because I want you to realize and know that whatever is shared within those confines, unless you're out to kill somebody or out to harm yourself, you know, I have to legally, you know, say those things. But other than that, I do want um, my clients to know that they have a safe place where they can grow and, and explore and talk. So that's what I'm doing now. You know, um, I can't change what I what happened. And I remember so many times, you know, you know, crying to my sister or crying to my therapist, you know, um, just going through the process of it. And they would always say, it's not about you. It's about somebody else. Yes. So they finally say it's about you. I went through what I went through for you. I don't know who you are, but I just want you to know, I went through much, much, much for you <laughs> to be free <laughs> and to be happy. And I'm so grateful that I stayed in the fight, so that you mm-hmm. can get knowledge and get insight and get understanding and know that you are not crazy or that you're not uh, alone or what you're what you're experiencing is so far fetched. No, it's just that it's probably foreign to you and you probably never put a name to it. But get. Get the help that you need, reach out. There are people that are willing to help and to help you walk through this process.
0: And reach out to Rochelle specifically. She has, um, you've heard the story. She has given us some amazing advice, uh, coupling prayer with knowledge, the advice to, to seek therapy if you need that look back to unpack what has happened in your past and, and she, if you need someone to help you spring into your future, someone to encourage you to transform your mindset, to go after that new thing, please do reach out to her, Rochelle. Please let people know how they can connect with you, whether that be on social media or um, email.
1: Well, actually, actually, right now, email is a, one of the best ways to contact me. That's Rochelle, R-O-C-H-E-L-L-E, at Grace. Solutions.com. It's graced with a D, G R A C E D, graced solutions.com. I am on Instagram um, and it sounds like Grace Solutions, but I'm kind of old school. I'm kind of getting used to the social media. I do have my website in the workings. So, um, uh, I will be, I'll be as, 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 uh, relevant as Brie. I'm trying, you know, she's my, she's my, uh, <laughs> my cheerleader. I'm trying to, I'm trying to come up to her level. Yes.
0: <laughs> I, I am cheering you on from one coach to another. I Thank am you. so excited about your growth. So excited about what you are offering in this community for women leaders who, um, just maybe uh, your story maybe resonates with them, maybe they are unsure, maybe they are just looking for a phenomenal coach, please go check out Rochelle. I can uh, attest to just the grace that she moves with. You could hear it all through her story. And if you are a God girl, like I like to talk about on Hearts and Stripes, if you are a God girl, this is definitely somebody that you will want to link arms with to help walk you and guide you through your next steps of um, just thriving and flourishing in in your life and in your business. So Rochelle, thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I do have one last question for us. It's all about our heart tracks. Um, (laughs) Is there a song that you would recommend for our heart tracks that maybe ties in your message uh, or your story?
1: Yes, I I, um, am a uh, hopeless musician. I don't play any instruments, but in my mind, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I love it. But I've lately been listening to Gene Moore. He is a phenomenal singer. Um, And not just a singer, he's an anointed singer. And the song that has resonated with me is Depending on You. And that's truly, I guess, my... Theme song. It has been God. I've been depending on You. You know, I don't understand all that's that's a, that's happened. All I don't understand all that's ahead of me. But as long as I know that I can depend on You, I'm going to be okay. So that's my song, and that I would share that um, with those that are listening to, for it to be a blessing to them. I pray that it will be for them as well. But that's depending on You, Gene Moore.
0: That's our heart track. Thank you so much again, Rochelle. You've been
1: such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're such a gracious host. I appreciate the opportunity to to spend this time with you and your guests.
0: Okay, everyone, you know what time it is. It is time to EYS. And wow, this episode was a deep one. Um, I hope you guys took something away from this story. And really, um, one of the undertones of all of this is a combination of prayer and knowledge so for your eys i want you to think about one area of your marriage that maybe needs to be addressed it could be communication sex money family whatever it is that you might be thinking of that needs to be addressed in your marriage and i want you to apply the concepts of prayer and knowledge Prayer, Whatever your faith system is, whether that be going into the word and getting scripture, meditating, finding some ways to ground yourself and clear your mind so that you can be guided to and attract the things that you need to answer this situation and knowledge maybe that's reaching out to a professional a google search whatever you need to do couple these things together to change your situation i hope that this is impactful to you and by all means if you find yourself in a similar situation Um, that our guest was in I would encourage you to reach out on your own behalf less EYS less couple prayer and knowledge and if you are in a situation that is dangerous to yourself please reach out to a chaplain a medical professional or someone that you can trust to help you EYS Thank you for tuning in. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. This is Hearts and Stripes. We are the few, the proud, that aim high and are forged by love. Always ready, always there. We are Mill Marriage Strong.